Just you. <laughs> so, it's Parshish Tazria this week, but also it's a very special Shabbos, an amazing Shabbos actually. One of the rare occasions that ensure we take out three Torahs. The reason being because this Shabbos is the Parsha, Tazria. It's also Rosh Chodesh, so that's why we have to read the extra special part for Rosh Chodesh, which we do every Rosh Chodesh. And when Rosh Chodesh comes out on the Shabbos, we take out an extra Torah to read the Rosh Chodesh section. Um, but then this week is also the last of the four special parshas which we read around this time of the year, Parsha Sachodesh, which is in preparation to Pesach, where Hashem commands the Jewish people of the first mitzvah to, the mitzvah to establish a calendar. And more specifically, more detailed, he talks about the going out of Egypt and preparing with bringing the Korban Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, which we're going to talk about a little bit later today. So let's just give a, first of all, a very quick overview of Prashas Tazria. It begins with the laws of childbirth and the impurity that a woman goes through when she has a child and the mikveh that follows and the purity that follows and so on and so forth. Um, that impurity we've discussed a number of years ago is created by a vacuum as impurity is always created by a vacuum it's because she carried life for so long and life is no longer in her it's, it's still there but it's not in her so therefore that attracts a certain level of impurity which requires the purification process it talks about the mitzvah of Brit Milah again it mentions circumcision even though that's mentioned way before in the Torah but mentions again this parsha. and then the main part of the parsha is Tzarat the uh, leprosy it's called leprosy, but it's not actually, it's not leprosy the way we know it today. It's, it's a spiritual, semi-spiritual, semi-physical illness that used to happen in olden times. That used to appear on the skin of someone, and it actually came as a result of, well, we, we are told that it came as a result of Lashon Hara, which we're going to talk about in more, in more detail. And then towards the end of the parasha, it talks about a different type of leprosy, which was on garments, because we know that actually there are three types. There's leprosy on the skin, Sarat on a garment, and next week's Prasha talks about Sarat on the walls of the house, right? Very timely, uh, <laughs> timely, timely week to uh, scrape the walls here. Anyways, okay. Um, all right, so what we're going to do today is as follows. I want to just share with you, because I really want to get into some Pesach stuff as well, but we won't, we won't do Pesach specifically, but I'm going to share with you a quick thought and a longer thought on the Prasha, and then which is based, the longer thought is based on a talk of the Rebbe, of the Vavachi Rebbe, and then I'm going to share with you a fascinating Maharal that I learned this year um, on Korban Pesach, which is the special parasha we read this parasha, this, um, this, this coming Shabbat, obviously connected to the Seder, because the Seder we mentioned Korban Pesach a lot, we have the Shankbone to commemorate the Korban Pesach, and, and so on and so forth. Okay. So just very quickly, if you have a look at... Oh, let me just share the screen, sorry. Ooh, where is it? Oh, there it is. Okay. You have a look at number one in the, in the handout. So that's the very beginning of the parasha. It says, By Daber Hashem El Moshe Leymar. Um, the second pasuk says, "Daber el bnei Yisrael speak to Hashem spoke to Moshe says speak to the Jewish people. Leimer Ishak ki sazriel the old zacher, a woman will conceive and then give birth to a boy. Then Thomas she was yamim she's impure for seven days. Kamei nidas tvoisa titma the the days of the like 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 the days of of nidla which is same impurity. She should become tome and then go to mikveh at a later stage. That the pasuk details and then it talks about what happens if you give birth to a girl." 
similar but different, some details are different. And then the third Pasuk says, over Yom HaShmini, in the eighth day, Yimol Psar Arlase, there should be, talking about a boy, so therefore the eighth day there should be a bris, a circumcision, which is interesting why it's repeated in this week's parasha. So one of the things we learn from this is, we learn some extra laws out of the fact that it's repeated this parasha. One of them being that a bris milah, a circumcision on time, as long as the child is born naturally, will, can push away Shabbos. Because it comes from the extra phrase here, Ube Yom Hashmini, and on the eighth day, even though we know it's the eighth day from the previous parasha, means Yom Hashmini, even if it's Shabbos, with the emphasis. So even Yom Hashmini, even if it comes out on Shabbos. So if you have a look at number two, um, Rashi brings an interesting thing. Rashi says, now, the end of last week's parasha was talking about all the laws of kosher birds, kosher animals, kosher fish, and so on. Says Rashi, Amar Rab Simloi brings a medrash that Rab Simloi said, Kashem she yitzi rosoy shal odom achar kol behemo chayvoyv b'may sibereshi. Just like when God created the world, the creation of the human being followed, came after the creation of fish, animals, and birds. Kach so too in the Torah, the laws relating to the birth of a human being, Nisprasha, was explained, after the laws of animals, birds, and wild animals, and so on. Which is why this week's Prasha comes directly after last week's Prasha. Last Prasha was the laws of animals, this week's Prasha the laws of childbirth. Why is that? So there's an interesting Medrash that says, uh, which I didn't put on the, on the handout, but the Medrash says the following. The Medrash says that, that the way it works is the human being was created last, right? So what is it, how does it work? It depends. Im zacha, if a person merits, a person doing the right thing, a person, a person living a life of purpose and, and good things, we say to the person, you know, you actually preceded creation, meaning the goal of creation was really you. And that's a different Medrash says well, what it really means is that the reason you created last is the fact that everything needed to be prepared for you because you are the goal, you are the purpose of creation. But in love, if a person doesn't do that, Omrim Loi, they say to him, Yitush Kodmach, you know what kind of person you are? You're a person that even a little insect came before you, like you're nothing. Who are you? Just, you, you weren't even created before the insect, right? Everything came before you. So it all depends how you look at it. So the Ksav Soifra, one of the commentators of the Prashas, uh, says the following. He says, it's just interesting, he says, because the, 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 the language that the Medrash uses is, schut, if you have a schut, if you have a merit, then you're the goal of creation. If you don't have the merit, then you're just lost, right? So we know that the word zechut, zaka, also comes from the word lezakot, to refine, right? So it means like this. It's interesting, he points out an interesting thing. On the one hand, the human being is the, most weak, is the weakest and the most vulnerable of all creations, right? We're the only creation that need clothes. We're the only creation that are dependent on our mothers and parents when we're born, right? So in a way, we like, have a lot of weaknesses and, and vulnerabilities, so to speak, that other other creations don't have, right? On the other hand, we know that we are the purpose of creation, and we can be elevated much higher than the rest of creation, and we can bring the world to a much higher level than, other, than, any other, than any other creation can be, right? So he says, this is what it means. He says like this. That's what the Medrash says. Zaka, if you have a schut, if you refine, in other words, if you understand your existence here, not just to be a mere physical existence, but to be someone who's supposed to bring purpose, who's supposed to bring elevation, supposed to bring... Uh, godliness, spirituality into the world, then you're, even though you're the weakest being, but actually you're the goal of the being. 
But Lozaka, if you haven't engaged with that refinement, because it doesn't happen automatically, right? When we're born, we have to refine ourselves to be able to reach a level of purpose. If we don't do that, then we just have to look at ourselves as just the weakest and the one that came the last. So that's what it means. That's the language of the Medrash about Zaka, always being refined. Okay. That's just a little thought from myself. So let's go to the bulk of the Parsha. Have a look at number three. So number three tells us, Vayedaber Hashem al-Moshe Lamer, Hashem spoke to Moses. Adam kiyya ba'ir basare. Now listen to the language a little bit because it's going to be relevant now. Adam, a man, referring to a human being, any man, man or woman, but we know one of the terms to refer to a human being is Adam, right? Adam kiyya ba'ir basare. A person who will have in the skin of his flesh, say, say, sapacha, say, beheres, these are different forms of white sort of plagues. And it'll come out to be on the skin of his flesh, it looks like a, a plague of leprosy. needs to be brought to the Kohen. Sorry, it should be brought to Aaron the Kohen. He was the high priest at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. Or to one of his sons who are Kohenim. And then the Torah launches into a very detailed process of how it works. Essentially, there's all different details of how the Saras presents itself. The only one who can rule on Saras is the Kohen. The Kohen has to be the one to determine whether it's impure or pure, whether the person indeed has contracted this disease or not. If he has, then he's got to go through a whole process of isolation, which fits into Lashon Hara also, because Lashon Hara causes people to be isolated, and therefore the punishment is Saras, which is such an impurity, it's the most isolating impurity. The person has to be quarantined, to use a modern... uh, modern terminology, right, completely from his family, from everything, and, um, and has to wait till it heals, and then there's a whole process of healing and purification, which the Torah details next week's parasha. Okay, so that's the, that's the Tzeras. Now, we know that a person, there are f- in, in, in Chumash and in, and in Chazal, there are four Description, there are four terms that are used to describe the human being. Right? Adam is one of them. Ish is another. Or Isha. Gever, which means like a, a person. Or Enosh, which means human being. Right? Those are the four. We learn in Zohar and in Al-Sheikh and in many other places that these four terms are not just random terms. They represent the layers and the levels of the human being. So the lowest level of the person... Right? The lowest level of the human being is Enosh. In other words, a person is basically existing, not doing much, not contributing much, he's Enosh, he's a person. That's what it is, right? Or even if he just is accomplishing, but very basically, very robotically, is an Enosh, right? The highest level of a person is Adam. Adam. That represents a person who's on a high level, who's got a certain amount of holiness, who's keeping the mitzvahs, who's serving Hashem, and so on and so forth, right? In fact, the word Adam, even though it does come from the word Adama, which is earth, because the person, the original man called Adam Arishan was made from the earth, but also comes the word Adame, which means to be compared to. So the way Chazal tells us, it's Adame la'alyon, it's like be compared to Hashem. That's such a high person, right? Which therefore begs the question, how could it be when the Torah is talking about someone who contracts Saras, which is the, one of the highest levels of Tumah, to the point where the, the, the Gemara says, 
that a person who contracts leprosy is like he's dead. Right? That's, that's, how, that's how bad this impurity is. When the Torah con- describes it, it uses the word Adam, who's the highest level of the... Right? It would make more sense when we say Enosh. Right? Why? Because we make our bear... Right. But why Adam? When we're using it badly, we're not Adam. Made us Adam, but that's but we're not Adam. Adam is the highest level of a human being. It made us human, but it doesn't make us Adam. Adam is a high level of human existence. Right? That's the question. So the Rebbe in his essay brings from the Alter Rebbe that he says. Yeah, no, it is Adam. But no human is perfect. And that's why, he says, if you look carefully in the Pasuk, like, let's have a look again in the Pasuk, in the Pasuk Beis, in the second Pasuk, it says that the person will have on his skin of his flesh. Now, the fact that Saras comes on the skin is in itself indicative of something. Right? Yes, it's true that the Saras is a bad plague. It's an it's a, it's impurity. But it's external. Right? In other words, it seems to be describing a person that in fact internally is doing pretty good. Now, no one's perfect, so a person is, is, is made a mistake, but the bad that they've engaged to is not really intrinsic, it's not really their identity, it's not really something they've engaged in tremendously. So it's be'or besara. it's in, only in the skin, it's only in the skin. That's only where the, the whole tumor, the whole impurity only shows up in the skin. That's why it's called Adam. Who, who's the person that, that, that gets this? A good person. Adam. Right? A person who's really on the level of Adam. Who's cleaned out and refined internally most of the impurity. He's left with some residue of stuff that he's engaged in. It shows up externally, superficially. So it shows up on the skin. Right? That's what he says. You're not quite happy. Oh, okay. No, no, very good. One second, one second. Okay. No, no, it gets, it's actually, it's actually a good question, but the question is even worse than that. I mean, it's even better, it's even a stronger question. Okay. That's what he says. And therefore he says, that's why we know that nowadays doesn't exist. You see, no, no, so just actually answer to your question is like this. Sometimes when the Torah provides a punishment, you have to be lucky sometimes to get the punishment. In this world, that is, right? In other words, sometimes punishments are gifts, not, not, not bad things, meaning... It means that, like, you know, you get something minor, relatively minor. Because we know, we know just, just, to, just to shed a little bit of light on the question here. So, we know that there's consequences in this world and in the next world. And we are taught, even though we, like, we don't like to dwell on these things, obviously, we normally just focus on what we need to do and try and focus on doing positive and being positive and so on. But this concept does exist. It's one of the fundamentals of faith that they do exist. But we do, we do know that... Um, a little bit of inconvenience, a little bit of suffering in this world actually covers you amazingly in the world to come, right? That's why, in a way, that's why the Gomorrah has a whole thing about talking about um, talking about uh, being samech b'yisurim. The Gomorrah says, like, when something inconvenient happens to someone, like, sometimes, you know, we get, we get stressed out because, uh, I don't know, we can't find the car keys, right? The Gomorrah actually, actually uses something that doesn't my car keys, obviously, but it talks about a similar thing. It talks about if someone puts their pocket into, hand into a pocket to get a coin, and the wrong coin comes out. You know, like you want to, you're looking at a 50 cent coin and, and 10 cent coin comes out and you get, you get, you get frustrated because it's taking so long to get the 50 cent coin. Right? So the, 
So the uh, the the the, the uh, Gemara says that actually a person should accept that as inconvenience, as an atonement. It's actually a Yiddish expression. You ever heard a Yiddish expression? Something breaks. I say Ah, it's a kapora. You ever heard that? Kapora means it's a, it's an atonement, right? So it's it's a funny English expression, like to sort of calm one's nerves. But but actually, it's a, it's a really it's a really good thing. Like it's actually a deep thing. I say, okay, if I had to, you know, if I had to go through something, look, so let it be that, right? And the thinking behind that is that the sunless is a gift, although you have to go through some even minor inconvenience, and that cleanses to, but, but it's a gift to be able to do that. It's a gift to have that. So that, the idea with Adam is like this, that a person who's clean internally and only has bad externally is lucky enough to get saras, so he should be finished and can remove the stain. Nowadays, unfortunately, we're not such in such a high level, we, therefore, we, we, don't, we don't have the gift, although it's a very severe tumor, but it's a gift. And we don't have that gift of Taras. Right? Because when we engage in the things that is talked about in this, in this, this pasture, we, uh, normally it's more internal, and it just, it's more internal than superficial. And therefore, we don't get to just get rid of it by a little skin disease, right? Which is external. Because we're not on the level of Adam. Which means, we, which means we, I mean, we need to be cognizant of that because obviously doesn't mean we need to be punished, but a worse punishment, but it doesn't mean that we have to do a bigger tshuva. So we have, to, we have to deal with it better, we have to sort of return better and fix it better, and always be stronger about it, because it's more internal than it is external. How do we know it's more internal? Because we don't have tsaras today. Because we're not Adam, because we're not on the level of Adam. Okay, so that's, that's, the, that, that's the idea. The problem is like this. The problem is, what do you mean it's only an Adam? What does that mean? Chazal tell us in the Gemara, that saras comes from Lashon Hara, right? That's what it comes from. Now, what do you mean it's external? Lashon Hara is a very severe thing, right? If you have a look at number four in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the handout, it says, Amru Chacham, the Rambam, this is the Rambam. Amru Chachamim, our rabbis tell us, Sholosh is there are three sins, Nifro'in, Bina'odam, Bo'ilam, Azeb, A'in L'Chayla, a person can be punished in this world and, and can damage his, his, his portion in the world to come. Avoid us, kechavim, idol worship, vigilu, arayas, and adultery, vishvich, and murder. Right? Those are the three cardinal sins. And then what does Ramam say after that? The Lashon Hara can negate kula. And Lashon Hara is like as bad as all three. Oyd Amru Chachamim, and the Chachamim tell us, says the Ramam, that Kalam is Saper, but Lashon Hara, everyone who talks Lashon Hara, like serious Lashon Hara, Keilu Koifer, be Iker, it's like he's going against the. the, the Main principles of Hashem. He's like, it's like, it's like idol worship. He's going against the, the fundaments of Judaism, right? And he brings a Pasuk and so on and so forth. So if someone spoke Lashon Hara, what do you mean it's only superficial? It seems like a very, very serious thing. That's all very nice to say, yes, it's an Adam and that's what only comes with the skin. But that all, which is a very nice idea, but that needs to be understood. Because what do you mean? How can, if it comes because of Lashon if you're telling me it's got to do with some sort of minor nuanced imperfection that a person has, only superficial imperfection, which you know, the person on their level, on their level it's a problem. That's why I understand they've got a tzaras on the skin. But the Chazal doesn't tell us that. The rabbi said it comes from Lashon Hara. Lashon Hara is not a superficial sin. Lashon Hara is a very serious sin. So what do you mean it only comes on the skin? Right? That's the question that he, that he asks. So what's interesting is like this. The Rambam, this is what the Rebbe brings, the basis on, 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 on the Rambam. The Rambam talks about Lashon Hara twice. Once in Hilchot De'ot, which is the laws of ethics. The Rambam has a whole section where he talks about 
you know, character traits, and that's a very, very fascinating section of the Rambam. It, you know, the Rambam wrote 14 sections, and in, in, in every section there's many different sections uh, in his magnum opus called Misha Torah, where he goes through all the laws of the Torah, right? It's a, a fascinating work. One of those, one of those sections, one of those minor sections are called Hilchas Deus, which is healthy, healthy goes through healthy, and then he goes through uh, spiritual healthy, he goes through character building, he goes through all these things. And in there, he talks about using speech properly, and he talks about Lashon Hara, that thing that we just spoke about, right? That's not in connection to leprosy, that's just in connection to Lashon Hara, period. The other place that talks, Brahman talks about Lashon Hara is in the laws of Tsaras. Right? Part of the Rambam is he talks about Saras because he covers every law in the Torah. Even the laws that aren't, really, aren't, aren't relevant today, but he, that's the whole beauty of the Rambam. He talks about, it's not, it's, it's not like a manual of day-to-day living, it's a manual that goes through everything that Hashem commands us to do, including the laws that, of sacrifices, the laws that will be relevant when Mashiach comes, and so on and so forth. Right? So he, talk, he goes through the very complicated Talmudic laws of Saras, which are fairly complicated, fairly comprehensive. At the end, he talks about this idea that it comes from Lashon Hara. But there, he talks about it very, very strangely. How so? If you have a look at number five, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, it's very long. Um, okay, so first of all, let me just go through a few things. He says like this, if you have a look at the beginning. I, I, it's a very long piece. I, in fact, it's longer than the piece. I didn't even, only it's excerpts, but let's go through it a, a little bit. He says like this. First of all, you should know, he says, It's not a normal, natural thing, Tzaraz. It's not like a natural disease. It was just a very wondrous, miraculous sort of phenomenon that used to happen to the Jewish people. In order to warn them and ward them away from Lashon Hara. Then he goes, the whole thing, that when a person engages in the stuff, he starts to... You know, first it hits the walls, then it hits the garments, and if he doesn't learn, it keeps him, and so on and so forth, right? And then he starts in a whole thing, which I'm not going to go through, I'll just quote a little bit. He says, he goes through a whole thing that the Torah warns us, and the Torah tells us about Miriam, right? One of the things he's supposed to remember is the story of Miriam. What happened? Miriam spoke Lashon Hara on Moshe Rabbeinu, right? And she didn't even mean bad, and she really meant for his benefit, and she was his sister, and she loved him, and the whole thing. And yet she just made a mistake and she, said, and she got stricken with Saras, right? Famous story, she got stricken with leprosy and the Jews had to wait for her for, for, for seven days while she was quarantining, right? So therefore we have to be very, very careful. And he starts, then the Ramah launches the whole thing. I'm going to quote it to you. He says, he launches into a whole thing about wicked, silly people that they just talk nonsense and they just keep talking empty stuff and persons should really distance themselves from such sittings, such discussions, people that just sit around and just schmooze nonsense. And he says, that's the derech, that's the way of the people who are scoffers and imperfect people. Start, they, they start talking nonsense and foolishness, and then they get worse, and then they come to end up talking about, uh, they talk against good people, and they end up talking about Lashonara, and the whole thing, right? And then he says, eventually they come, and eventually they're going to even go against the fundamentals of Judaism. So they ask the question, it's very different the way he talks about it here, the way he talks about it there, right? In the laws of ethics, he talks about Lashon Hara as a terrible thing. If you do it, you, you're already going against Hashem. It's as bad as the three cardinal sins put together, and boom, it's terrible and finished. When he talks about it over here in the Rambam, in the second part of the Rambam, he's talking about the laws of Tsaras, he's talking about it in a whole different way, about Miriam, and, and she didn't really mean much, and, and people just sit around scoffing and talking and doing nonsense, all that, all, and he doesn't even say 
that you're going against Hashem, it says you'll come to go against Hashem. Right? So what does this mean? So you, the Rebbe used these two Rambams to answer the question that he started with. And this goes into our Pasha. Right? When our Pasha talks about the Adam getting Saras, yeah, and the and it only being superficial, he's not talking about hardcore Lashon Hara. Hardcore Lashon Hara is what people talk today a lot, and we don't have Saras for that reason, because we don't get the gift of a superficial cleansing. Right? And he says like this, what he's talking about is something completely different. And this is what our parish is talking about. What he's talking about is the misuse of speech altogether. Right? In other words, there's Lashon Hara when a person talks, that the speech that he's talking, the gossip of the person he's talking about is an outcome of an unrefined character or, an unre- or, or, or cruelty or jealousy. In other words, a person is engaged with internally really unrefined character traits, cruelty, hate, jealousy, anger, resentment, whatever those things are, and then expresses those character traits by sitting down his friend and says, you know that guy? Terrible person, you know what he's done to me? No reason, no purpose in this conversation, just gets it out because he's upset or he's jealous or he's hateful or he's angry, right? That's, that's not superficial Lashon Hara, that's internal Lashon Hara. And that's what the Ramam is talking about in the laws of ethics and that's what he's talking about, that it's a terrible sin and it's equal to the three cardinal sins. It doesn't even mention Saras there. Because actually the truth is, without Lashon Hara, there wouldn't be Saras. What the Rambam is talking about over here with the laws of Tsaras, and that will answer why it says Adam, is completely different. He's not talking about a person, he's talking about a person that's a good person. Doesn't have jealousy, doesn't have hate, doesn't have resentment, doesn't have anger, doesn't have any of these things. He's a very elevated, refined person. Which is why, the Rambam doesn't say this, but why the Rebbe is using that, why the person is called an Adam. So what's the problem? The problem is, he's not completely careful with speech. Speech is a power, we talked about this morning, speech is a powerful tool. And therefore it doesn't, it, it, he does something that could lead to Lashon Hara. He engages in empty talk, engages in impulsive talk, he doesn't think before he speaks. Right? Says the Rambam, that's what the Rambam says, this way you have, to, you have to listen to Miriam, you have to learn from Miriam. You think Miriam spoke, spoke hardcore Lashon Hara? She, 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 she didn't. She actually meant well. In fact what Miriam said is, could probably not even a deal be classified as Lashon Hara. She said it as a, for a purpose. She was trying to protect her brother. She was trying to protect her sister-in-law. Right? She said, it's not nice. He's a, we're all prophets. And yet, Bashar Abena wasn't living with his wife because he had to remain separate. Because Hashem wanted him to be extra holy. And the whole thing, right? And she, wanted, and she, she felt bad for the other prophets because it was in the context of a story where Hashem was giving prophecy to a whole bunch of people in that story in, in the Chumash and so on. It was out of love, out of care, but in a very subtle way, didn't think it through properly. That was a true Adam. Right? That's what he's talking about. So now we understand that it's not a contradiction to this concept that Lashon Hara is so bad, because that's real Lashon Hara. That's Lashon Hara that's coming from an internal badness. You know, it's an expression of my internal problems, which I need to deal with. Jealousy, hate, and so on. Right? Taras doesn't come from that. Taras, the way the Rambam describes it, and that's why he says you have to learn from Miriam, and that's why he talks about, he doesn't talk about, he's not even describing, in, in the laws of Taras, he's not even describing hardcore Lashon Hara. He's describing joining groups that schmooze, and, and, that's, and it's empty talk, and, and so on and so forth. 
That's, that's the misuse of Hashem's gift of language, Hashem's gift of words, and that could lead to Lashem Hara. That's the person who gets Saras. And that's the person who's, who's, an, who's, who's an Adam. Because actually he doesn't have internal bad. His problem is exactly that. The problem is that he's letting in, he's allowing in superficial bad. And therefore Hashem gives that person a gift, as the Altar Rebbe says, besare, in the skin of his flesh, just to put a stop. You're engaging in something that could lead to, isolation, to, to isolating people, could lead to conflict, could lead to Lashon and therefore puts a stop to it, creates an atonement for it, and the person has a cleansing, and goes back to being a good person. That's the explanation of how that works, the explanation of how the Torah uses the word Adam. Okay. Truth is, this has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about now in terms of Pesach. So, this week is Parsha Sachodesh, as we said. Hashem tells the, uh, Hashem calls Moshe Rabbeinu, it was Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and he says, I'm giving you two mitzvahs now. These are the two mitzvahs that, sh- that the Yidden got before they left Mitzrayim. The one was the first mitzvah they got as a nation, which was to make a calendar. Okay, that was the, the, the lunar cycle. Hashem spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu on Rosh Chodesh, showed him the new moon, the birth of the moon, told him this is how you have to do it, and that became the basis of how we... Uh, how we run our calendar. I've spoken, we, we have spoken before, a couple of years ago, we spoke why this is the first mitzvah, we're not going to go into that today. But the bulk of that parsha, which we're going to read this week, is about the Korban Pesach. Korban Pesach was a very big part of the Seder in olden times. And the very first Korban Pesach was actually brought in Egypt. Right? It was actually brought in Egypt. Differently a bit to the one, way it was brought later on, because they didn't have a temple. They brought it in their own homes. They had to smear the blood on the, on the, on the, uh, on the, on the doorpost. And that's how Shem knew that that's a Jewish house, he skipped over it, and so on and so forth. Let's learn a little bit of psukim inside about it. So it says like this, the carbon person had to be a lamb, or a sheep, one year old, and it says the parasha, look at number six, it says, tell the Jewish people they should eat the meat on that night, this was the night before they left Egypt, they had to take the lamb four days before they went out, but then they had to shecht it on Erev Pesach, and that night have a Seder. It was the first Seder, right? So they should eat it. Sli Eish, it has to be roasted. Barbecued, that's, that's how we spoke. Al Matzois Yechlu. They have to eat it together with Matzah and Morad. So they ate Matzah and Morad in Egypt, before they left Egypt. Yeah. The first Seder was before they left. It was the preparation Seder, right? Then the next Pasuk says, have a look. Do not eat it half cooked or cooked in water. Emphasizing it. No, not water. It has to be roasted over fire, over an open fire. And you've got to roast the whole thing together. The head, the insides, and the knees. In other words, the whole animal was roasted in one, wasn't pieces of meat. On a spit, but the whole thing. Right, it wasn't a spit, actually. Very interesting spit. The Gemara describes how it was. They actually didn't have metal spit because you weren't allowed to use anything that's susceptible to impurity. It was one of these wooden spits, actually, which was, I don't know, these people do barbecues with wooden spits or something. And that's how it was that. Okay. Then the Pasuk says, and the next Pasuk, not, there's a few Pasuk later. Have a look at the, one, the last one I put you on the handout. Then you must smear the blood on the doorposts. That, dam will, that blood will be a sign on the houses, Asher Hashem, that you are there. It says, Hashem, that night when I smite the firstborns of the Egyptians, I will see the blood. And I will jump over you. By the way, Rashi over there in Chumash brings two interpretations of the word 
Upasachti, I will jump over you. It also means Vechabalti, I will have pity over you. And the plague of destruction will not come upon you. You will be spared from this plague. Okay. I'm going to stop the sharing. We don't need that anymore. Okay. Now. So I'm going to share with you a beautiful piece in the Maharal. And it's on a piece of the Haggadah where we mention this. In fact, towards the end of the Haggadah, before the second cup of wine, we mention a Mishnah which says... Rabban Gamliel used to say that whoever doesn't explain the following three things on Pesach hasn't really done his duty properly. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Pesach, Matzah, Umar. We have to talk about, even though we don't have a Korban Pesach today, because we, we, we don't have a Pesach Mikdash, we have to describe the Korban Pesach, we have to talk about Matzah, we have to talk about Umar. These are three things that we have to explain on Pesach night, the three key things. And it's on this that the Maral wants to know why it's so important. And he focuses in this piece mainly on Korban Pesach. And he starts with the following thing. He says he doesn't understand the whole thing. Hashem says, you're going to bring the Korban Pesach and smear the blood so I should know which house you are. This was the tenth plague, correct? The plague of the firstborn, right? No plague came upon the Jewish people. They were, all, they, were all, they were spared from all the plagues. To the point that the Medrash even tells us that from the same pond or the same river in the first plague, an Egyptian would draw water and be blood, a Jew would draw water and be water. Right? Like, you know, the others you could say, well, okay, there was, it came, but this didn't come into the area where the Jews were. But it was much more than that. It, would, it emphatically did not affect the Jews. The Jews were spared from all the ten plagues. It was part of the miracle of the ten plagues. All of a sudden, when we come to Makas Bechiris, you've got to be very careful. You've got to go into your house. Don't leave your house. You've got to put the blood on, on the doorpost. I will see the blood. I will jump over your houses. You won't, you won't, you'll be spared from it. Oh, one second. Why don't we have that whole... Uh, why was there no special precautionary measures taken for all other plagues to make sure the Jews don't get them? It was just automatic. And they, weren't, they just didn't affect them. Why couldn't it be the same way here? Right? That's, his, that, that, that's his question. And the morale, yeah? Follow? Clear? Yeah. Sorry? You do not answer, sir? Okay. Maybe there's, maybe there's a few answers. I don't know. Maybe this will be your answer. We'll see. So, the morale uses this to explain what was unique about what happened that night. And through that, he goes into explaining what's so unique about the Korban Pesach, about the Pesach offering. And through that, he explains many of the laws of Korban Pesach, which is quite beautiful. Like he puts all law, you see, all laws represent one thing. What is this? It says like this. First of all, he says, all the other, all the other plagues, right... We know that we say in the Haggadah that when Hashem came for the final plague, now obviously everything comes from Hashem, but we know there are certain things that happen in this world that Hashem sends through a malach, sends through an angel, right? Which means it comes down at a lower level or it comes down in a different way, it's all, but all from Hashem. No one has any autonomy besides Hashem. Obviously the malach only what Hashem says, but it comes through the malach. That's the way Hashem sends whatever he sends to the, to the world. All other plagues came through a malach. The makas b'choyres, the plague of the firstborn, which was also the moment of redemption. It was the climax of the whole journey and it was the moment, <coughs> excuse me, the, 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 the defining moment. We know that came from Hashem himself. No intermediary, no, no angels. Hashem himself descended into Mitzrayim, so to speak, to carry out makas b'choyres at the same time to redeem the Jewish people. 
So he says the following. I'll, I'll quote you the words. It's like this. All the other plagues, he says, they were just at a particular level and they affected people at a particular level. So they affected the Egyptians who were the oppressors, who were the wicked people and so on and so forth. Naturally, so to speak, it didn't, it didn't affect the Jewish people because it, wasn't, it only affected the people that spiritually it could affect. In other words, it only affected the people that that particular malach, that particular angel had the power to affect. The Jews were in a different category. They were in a different category the whole time they were in Egypt. They always had some spark of faith and always had some connection to God on, on some level. Right? They hadn't become a nation of God yet, but they were still connected. They were the children of Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Sarif, Karach, Moreah, and so on and so forth. So therefore, it was a natural thing. The, 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 the effect, the, the consequence, the effect that the Malach was able to have was limited and only affected certain people. So it was like almost a, a, a natural outcome of the plague. The Malach came to do the plague of blood. Whatever the Malach did, the level that the Malach was on they had no power to affect the Jewish people. The Malach had the power to affect the Egyptians, didn't have the power to affect the Jewish people. Hence, the way that the plague played out, so to speak, it affected some and didn't affect others. That's just the way it was. Ever when it came to Makas Bukhiris, Hashem comes himself. Hashem has no limitations. If Hashem is carrying out a plague himself, then obviously it's, just, it's, just, it's going to affect everyone. It's Hashem doing it. Hashem is limitless. Hashem is infinite. He's the one carrying out this final plague. For whatever reason, he's carrying out himself, which we'll see in a second why. But he's carrying out himself, and therefore he has no limits. Therefore, the plague that he administers, naturally, at its default position, will affect everyone. Unless there's something special to create an exception. What's the exception? Why won't it... No, so what, so what do you mean there's something special to create an exception? It's not just about Hashem says, you know, if you put blood, then I'll remember not to... No. The blood that they put there was from the Korban Pesach, and it was a symbol of a transition and a transformation that the Jews went through that it shouldn't affect them. How can it not affect them? It's only one way. They have to become Hashem's nation. They have to become, so to speak, a part of Hashem. And he says that was what Korban Pesach was all about. Korban Pesach was about the Jewish people detaching from everyone else and becoming the nation of Hashem. If they become part of Hashem, so to speak, then the plague that Hashem gives is not going to affect them. Right? So when a Yid shechted the Korban Pesach and then smeared the blood on the doorpost, it wasn't the blood that Hashem said, oops, oh, that's a Jewish house, I remember. Hashem will know it's Jewish. It was a symbol that you've done what you need to do. You've gone through that process. Oh. Yeah? So far good? Which he says also comes to the word korban. Korban means kiruv, so we become close to Hashem. Right? Now, what does that mean? Because we know that one of the things, Yiches, the Novi, the Maral doesn't say this, but the Novi Yecheskel, Ezekiel the prophet says, that Pesach we celebrate the birth of the Jewish nation. Right? But what does that mean? What does it mean that the birth of the Jewish nation? What does that mean? They were in Egypt for 210 years. What, what, what does that mean? So here comes a very important thing, and this is what the morale goes on with. He says, what does it actually mean? Obviously, to become Hashem's nation means to become connected to Hashem, not just to be a people who are grouped together. So up until Mitzrayim, we were all descendants of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. But we were like every other nation. What, how do you define every other nation? A group of people that, work, that, that live in the same place, or come from a similar culture, 
But they're all individuals. They just happen to be together. There's no intrinsic oneness in any nation. It's just a bunch of people that have a common ancestry, a common culture, a common language, a common land. Right? But they're all separate people. Which was true about the Jewish people also. We had a common ancestry. We were all children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Okay. Twelve tribes, but all the tribe tribes come from Yaakov. We all lived in the same land. We were all in Mitzrayim. We all lived in Goshen. What's Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? What's the Exodus image? What happened on Pesach? What happened on Pesach is we went beyond ourselves and we connected with Hashem. How's that expressed? It's expressed by becoming intrinsically one nation. Oneness. Complete oneness. Why? Because you cannot become Hashem's nation without becoming one. Because Hashem is the ultimate one. Meaning, if what happened by Korban Pesach is that we became Hashem's nation, which allowed us to be connected to Hashem and redeemed from Yitzrayim and not be subjected to, to, to the plague of the firstborn, the way that had to be expressed was that we became intrinsically bound with each other. Yeah? Because becoming intrinsically and inseparably one with Hashem means that we're all part of one, so we become one. Now, I'll just digress here for a moment, because I think I've, I mentioned this before. This is, this is something that the Rebbe once explained, actually, with regard to a story in Chumash, where Moshe Rabbeinu goes out, and it's got to the Lashon actually, right? It's got to the, it's got to the Moshe Rabbeinu goes out after he killed the Egyptian. Remember that story that he came out and he saw an Egyptian smiting the Jew, and he killed him? Okay. The next day, he saw two Jews fighting. It was Dosan and Aviram. And he said to them, why you, why you, he said to the one, why are you hitting your brother? So the guy said to him, oh, well, who are you anyways? What are you going to do? Go and tell him? Are you going to go and kill us now like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And Moshe Rabbeinu, and that's actually exactly what happened. They went, Moshe Rabbeinu said, well, now it's public. I didn't know that. And they went, they went to Paroi. They, snit, they snitched on him and so on and so forth. So it says, and Rashi brings it down also, that what happened was, Moshe Rabbeinu was very afraid. What was he afraid of? Not so much, he wasn't afraid for his own life. What he was afraid of was, says, says, says the Gemara, says Chazal, he was afraid the Jewish people are not going to be able to be redeemed. Why? Because there's Lashon Hara, there's division among them, right? They, they, there's there's, there's tailbearers among them. There's division among them, fragmentation among them. Right? So they have the, the Avera, the transgression of Lashon Hara. And that's why he was worried. So the Rebbe asked the question once, he doesn't understand. We know that the, the Jews have plenty of transgressions. In fact, they even served idol worship in, in, in Israel. Right? The Jews were an assimilated nation in Egypt, right? Completely. They, most of them, except the tribe of Levi, most of them weren't keeping any mitzvahs, they didn't, they didn't do anything, right? In fact, we have this expression which we talk about in the Haggadah, when they left Egypt, they were naked of any mitzvahs. So what are you worried about? What, they, some of them were serving idols, but you're only worried about Lashon Hara? So he explains, no, this is the point. The fact that they didn't do any mitzvahs, that was okay. Hashem says, I'll take you out, I'll teach you how to do mitzvahs. But going out meant being spared from the makas pochoyres meant becoming a nation. Becoming a nation means becoming one. You can do any avera, but if you're not one, you're undermining the very process you need to go through. Right? He gives an example, a lucky example, even though we don't rule like this. We, we know that Yom Kippur atones, right? So the Gemara has a discussion, does it atone for only for people that do tshuva, or even people that don't do any tshuva. Right? You have to do tshuva together with Yom Kippur. 
So one opinion, we don't actually, we don't actually rule it, because we actually say you have to do tshuva on Yom Kippur also, not just Yom Kippur itself is not enough, you have to actually do, you have to do some level of tshuva at least, right? Okay, but there is an opinion in Gemara that says, Rabbi Huda, I think, that says that, no, even if you don't do tshuva, Yom Kippur just atones, right? However, he agrees that if you do one Avera, Yom Kippur won't help you. Which one? If you break Yom Kippur. If you eat on Yom Kippur intentionally, right? And then Yom Kippur won't, won't, won't help you. Why? He just said Yom Kippur will help you even without Shavuot. It's such a powerful day. So why if you break Yom Kippur? The answer is, no, you can do anything wrong and Yom Kippur will still help you according to that opinion, but not if you undermine Yom Kippur. At least you can do everything else. Yom Kippur will override and will come and purify every transgression. But if you're going to fight with Yom Kippur itself, that, that Yom Kippur is not going to help you. Same thing here. The Yidin didn't have to do mitzvahs to, to be able to be redeemed, right? That wasn't, the, that wasn't the criteria. But they have to be ready for oneness. If they're not ready for oneness, that's the problem. And that's the Moshe got worried. He said, whoa, whoa, I see there's division among them. They're not ready for oneness. Not ready for oneness, that, that's a problem. Okay, I guess the answer was that only those two people and the Yidin were ready for oneness. And that's what happened. So that's what the Maral's point is. That in order to go out of Mitzrayim, in order to be spared from the first, firstborn plague, when Hashem himself comes in. Hashem, as the Zohar says, Hashem came that night to do two things. To punish the Egyptian and to redeem the Jewish people. What does it mean to redeem the Jewish people? Redeem the Jewish people only happened the next morning. Geographically, it only left Mitzrayim the next morning. But, what happened at midnight was, was the moment of freedom, as we've talked about many times. That moment of freedom, that gift of freedom was given to them at midnight, the same time that the firstborns were killed, because that's when they became Hashem's nation. That's when they... Transition to a whole new level. They became Hashem's nations, which means they weren't trapped in themselves anymore. Trapped in themselves would be a symptom of also division because each one's trapped in their own, they can't in- integrate with other people. They were no longer trapped in themselves because they were now one and therefore they were connected with the oneness of Hashem. And because they were connected with the oneness of Hashem, they were redeemed. They were free, intrinsically free. Geographically, the next morning, but now they're already intrinsically free. Says the Maral, that's why that night they had to have a Korban Pesach. Because he says, if you, if you examine the Korban Pesach, you will see that everything about the Korban Pesach is oneness. It's all about oneness. It's a very fascinating thing. And he says the following. He says, first of all, every law, we learned before, for example, I'm not going in particular order, he said every law, that the Korban Pesach could not be divided up. It had to be roasted, the entire animal together. Symbol of oneness. The head the knees, the innards, which, by the way, represents different types of people. Oneness means that, that we, yes, we are on different levels, but it doesn't matter. We're all part of one, one connection. So it could be the head, it could be the feet, but it's roasted all together. It says there that when they create the groups, they have to remain in one house. They weren't allowed to go out in the middle. You can't eat the Korban Pesach in two places. You have to register people on a Korban Pesach, and everyone has to remain in the one house. That group has to remain in the one house the entire night, eat the Korban Pesach together, a symbol of oneness. It says also, the lamb had to be one year old. Because again, a symbol of oneness. Two years old already means it's two, two different years. One year means there's a concept of oneness. Eat it in its Sorry? Eat it has to be eaten in entirety, right. He doesn't say that, but it, that's, that's true. Then he says a beautiful thing. He says, that's why it was a lamb. Or a sheep. Why? A seh. The word seh. Seh tamim, right? Perfect sheep. So he brings some, from a medrash that says an interesting thing. We know that the Yidin are always compared to a sheep. We're called a sheep among 70 wolves, right? But why the symbol of sheep? See, this is an amazing thing. The Medrash says an amazing thing. A sheep is a very delicate animal. To the point where if a sheep, a sheep is hurting in one part of its body, it'll feel it as an entire body. 
different to a cow, different to a bull, is not the, apparently not like that. So that's the pshat. That the Yidin become one, and therefore what happens to one Jew happens to a whole nation. Right? That's the... Um, And I'm trying to think. There's a beautiful word, I think, for Ramesh Shapiro. Yeah, I think it's like, I think that's how it goes. In fact, all to do with the word Adam that we said before. Um, because in, in, in later on, it specifically refers, in Chumash, it specifically refers to the Jewish people as Adam. Um, you know the famous Baylor's trial, uh, <laughs> which is in Ukraine, actually. And, uh, right... Ukraine doesn't have such a clean history as we know. Um, but, yeah, pretty, pretty bad actually. But anyway, but there was the Baylor's trial, a famous Baylor's trial, where they revived the blood libel, and it was a terrible, terrible thing, right? And it was about one Jew and one family, and, and there was a, it, was a, it was a, I mean, the end of that story was a good, it was a good ending, and actually he was let free. But at that trial, there were many witnesses, and one of the witnesses was, I don't remember, but it was one of the great Gedolim, one of the great men of the time, I don't know if it was the Chafetz Chaim. Or it was Ramesh Shapiro. I can't remember one of the great people. And he said the following. He said to the judge, he says, you understand? You have to understand. This is a trial of the Jewish nation. The guy looked at me, you're mad. This is a trial of uh, Mr. Baylor. So what, what, what do you guys make such a fuss of? It's one family. So he said, a very interesting thing he said. I think, I think this is the way it went. I have to check it out. But this is the way, I think this is the way it went. He said that in Hebrew, the, the Jewish people are referred to as Adam. Right? Which is the highest level of human human. Do. And very interesting that, that in... in um, like the word ish, for example, you can say it in singular and you can make it in plural. Ish is anashim, or isha is nashim, right? Adam, there's no plural, you know that? There's no plural for Adam. Or like Adamim or something. He says, why? He says, because with us, he says, if Mr. Bailey is on trial, the whole nation's on trial. That's what he says. It's a beautiful idea. That made a big impact on the judge also, apparently. So, this is what he says. He says, that's why the Korban Pesach was a lamb. A beautiful idea. It's a lamb because what happens to one happens to everything. Because a lamb is such a delicate animal that it's like an animal of oneness. If it gets a scratch in one, in one, one limb, the whole, the whole body feels it. And that's why the Jews had to prepare for Mitzayat Mitzrayim with the lamb because that was, that was the symbol of oneness. Then we have many other laws. We learned before you can't cook it in water. You have to roast it on fire. He says the nature of meat is when you cook meat, it softens and it breaks. It's, it, 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 it goes to pieces. If it's a soft meat, cooked meat, it, when you barbecue something, it becomes, it shrinks, becomes tough, right? Again, same idea that roasts on fire because it doesn't, it doesn't, there's no fragmentation, it's all, it's all one. One of the Allah says you weren't allowed to break any bones. You had to, you know, you had, it was an interesting law, you had to roast the whole thing, to, you had to, the whole thing had to be on a spit and then you couldn't break the bones, you had to peel the meat off the bone. Same idea, because breaking is a symbol of division, fragmentation, and all these things have to be, have to be things. Then he ends off, and he's end up with this idea. He goes on a whole long, long thing. He goes on and on and on. But he says like this. He says, okay, so why is it so important then to eat it together with matzah and maror? Right? Why, why is that so important? So he says like this. He says, there was all a further demonstration of the deep oneness of Hashem. So he brings philosophers that they always say, and this is part of the reasons why in the old ancient pagan worship customs they had many gods there was a god for every different thing why part of it was based from a philosophy 
that you can't have multiplicity come out of one. One can't translate it. One brings one. So therefore, the God of uh, love creates love. The God of uh, hate creates hate. Right? That is actually a complete misunderstanding and a weak understanding of the concept of oneness. The true idea of oneness is that it transcends everything and it includes everything. That's what we say about God. That the, 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 God, the oneness of God is, the, the Zohar gives this, this um, is it the Zohar or was it Rechaim Vital? Gives, gives, gives this analogy that it's like a spark. That you have sometimes one uh, hit of a hammer that creates a spark and that spark fragments into many, many different sparks. Like a source of light, right? Why? Because we know that the way we describe Hashem in total oneness means that Hashem doesn't have com- components, right? Why? Because it's undefined, because He transcends everything. But because He transcends everything, He's the source of everything. In other words, it's not a oneness meaning. Almost when they talked about that one can't bring two, they were talking about one defined thing. Oh, yes, one defined thing. A table can't become a chair. Or whatever. <laughs> Love can't breed hate. Singularity. S- right. S- singularity, right? God is different. God is the ultimate oneness. The ultimate oneness means that He's nothing and therefore He's the source of everything. Says the Maharal, that's why the Korban Pesach had to be eaten with matzah and mora. Because matzah is a symbol of freedom. Mora is a symbol of servitude and slavery to show us God is the source of everything that exists, good, and those things that don't look like they're good. Because He's the ultimate one. When the Yidin ate the carbon Pesach and they understood what they're connecting to and they understood what they are and who they're becoming part of, they're becoming God's nation, they're becoming part of Hashem's oneness, which going back to the beginning of the Maral was exactly what protected them from Marcus Bechoyris because Hashem was the one bringing the plague and therefore it was going to be rampant unless you were part of Him. They had to understand the real oneness of Hashem. So everything about the Korban Pesach is one, but they also have to understand that it's a oneness that is so deep that transcends everything and therefore is the source of everything, including opposites. And that's why they take the Matzah and the Murrah. Okay? So it's relevant to the Shabbos, but it's also a good thing to take with to the Seder and to understand. And to... All right, stop there.